This time on Pod of the Planet, it's World Oceans Day. I'm Marie Denoya Aronson. And I'm Francesco Fiandella, and welcome to Pod of the Planet. A podcast about our extraordinary planet Earth as experienced by the eyes, ears, and sometimes instruments of our researchers here at Columbia University's Earth Institute. Well put, Marie. So, as you mentioned in the uh, introduction, right, uh, today's World Oceans Day, June 8th. And to celebrate that, you were able to line up an interview with Vicky Farini, an ocean geophysicist at the Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. Tell me about it. Yeah, Francesco, she's fascinating, and it was a great conversation. Among many other things, Vicky is one of the lead researchers on an international project called Seabed 2030, which wants to map the entire ocean floor by 2030, which is no small feat, considering that 70% of our planet is covered by the oceans. And some would say the planet was misnamed. Instead of planet Earth, it should be planet ocean. I don't know. What do you think, Francesco? Yeah, I mean, just just from what I learned um, hearing Vicky speak, it's fascinating that we've only mapped such a tiny fraction, certainly a fraction at the level that we know about our surface. And that's incredible that we still haven't gotten to that that level of, of mapping. Yeah, it really is crazy. Um, as Vicky explains, we've mapped more of the surface of other planets than of planet Earth, mainly because these other planets are easier to map. They're not covered by the oceans. Right, right. And um, I, I got to say, the way that Vicky it just explains her research uh, so clearly and, and, and richly and full of imagery, she's quickly becoming one of my favorite scientists to, uh, to hear speak. Uh, she really has this talent of of bringing her science to, to life and into the living rooms of, of the sort of general public. The way that she talked about undersea mountains and these meandering rivers on, on the ocean bottom and these giant ripples on the sea floor, I, it was just like, you feel like you're there in a submersible with her, you know? Agreed, she's a great communicator, she really is. And it comes so clear how personally invested she is in Something I love also, and I know you do too, Francesco, are great, big, beautiful oceans. Absolutely. Um, so let's, uh, let's get to the interview and we'll uh, reconnect afterwards. Sounds good. Vicki Farini, welcome back to Pot of the Planet. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's, well, first of all, happy World Oceans Day, even though we're recording this a few days before, but this will be... Um, available on World Oceans Day. So kind of World Oceans Day to me every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. What is your what is your job? What is your background? Uh, so I like to describe myself as someone who works at the intersection of seafloor mapping and data management. So I work uh, on lots of different projects related to mapping the unmapped ocean floor. Um, and I also work on projects focused on making data such as seafloor mapping data, but other kinds of data as well from the marine geoscientific domains um, accessible to the science community and to the public. Right, the accessibility. So um, in a more technical way of speaking, would it, it's fair to say you're an ocean geophysicist? 
I can be called a marine geophysicist. I can be <laughs> called a geoinformaticist. I can be called a bathymetrist. Lots of fancy. Lots of lots of heads. Lots of hats. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So set the stage for me. We always hear that the ocean is takes up so much of the planet. It's seventy uh, percent. Is that just over seventy percent? But okay. yeah. So the majority of the planet is covered by the oceans and hidden from us by all that water. And how much of the seafloor do we have mapped at this point? So based on data that have been shared internationally and have been integrated together into a global product, our estimates now are just over 20% of the ocean floor has been mapped, um, but that's still at fairly coarse resolution. Um, maybe 100 meter resolution at best. So that's about the size of a football field. So the kind of detail that you can see at that resolution is amazing compared to not having maps or not having any real information, but it's also still very coarse. You couldn't see, you know, the shape of a house, for example, that would just be blurred away um, in those maps. The ocean we know is integral to life on the planet. Let's just take the, you know, 300 foot look at, at what we're talking about here. And it uh, regulates the climate, correct? Mm -hmm. Talking about millions of species and feeds millions of people. Um, what does it mean to you that so little of this planet covered with ocean is understood on the level of the kind of mapping that you do? Um, what do we need to know? And yeah, what so are we not, it's, what it's are we hard to know what we knowing. need to know when we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> right, right. So um, what's exciting to me about trying to map the ocean floor and actually to create a complete map of the planet, right? We can think of it that way is to really reveal you know the face of the planet to understand at, at, at the first level the shape that the, the the morphology you know the mountain ranges that are underwater the big meandering rivers that are on the seafloor that go you know huge distances traveling uh, traveling or being moved by bottom currents there's giant ripples on the seafloor just really being able to see the landscape and the landform is for me the first order of excitement, um, really bringing that into focus. But once we actually have a first order map, we can go and we can explore in detail. We can actually bring our own human eyes to the seafloor in submersibles or through cameras. Um, we can explore um, the, the natural world, looking at you know, geologic formations and understanding how they're created and modified. There's all kinds of organisms to discover. There's all sorts of resources to better understand and manage sustainably and responsibly. Um, there's uh, shipwrecks to be discovered and history to find. You know, there's all kinds of things. Um, and there's, you know, many, many different ways that this kind of data can be applied to, you know, a huge range of, of problems and questions, but kind of like infinite opportunity in a way. That's really exciting. And you're part of um, an international program called Seabed 2030. 
Tell me a little bit about that. And the 2030 is when we would supposedly have 100% of the seafloor map. Right. So this is um, the Nippon Foundation Jebco Seabed 2030 project. It started just a few years ago with this really bold vision of mapping the entire seafloor by the year 2030 to really inform scientific research, policy decisions, and sustainable use of the ocean. So a lot of really important reasons to do this baseline mapping. Um, JEBCO is an international program that operates under a couple of intergovernmental um, organizations. Uh, the International, let me get it right, <laughs> the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission of UNESCO. So that's a sort of scientific body. And um, the International Hydrographic Organization, which is focused, that's all the different governments that are involved with making nautical charts. So those are kind of the two political lenses that are kind of focused here. And then the Nippon Foundation, which really came up with this vision and really challenged the world with it, um, is a philanthropic organization in Japan that has been working with JEBCO for over a decade, really investing in the next generation of ocean mappers uh, through a training program that they've been supporting. And so I think that they really recognize the opportunity and the need to really try to catalyze and move this forward. And so, you know, these two groups coming together have basically challenged the world to figure out how to work together and how to get this done. Because we do, we have better maps of other planets because it's easier to map when there's no water in the way, but we have the basic technology that we need. It can be improved, it can be optimized and accelerated, um, but by coming together as an international community and leveraging resources and knowledge and workflows and tools, um, we can really have a huge impact and really like, you know, change the world. We're gonna complete a map of the planet for the first time ever. Yeah, that's incredibly exciting. Um, was there an like a specific incident, um, perhaps some kind of natural occurrence that prompted this? Or was it just, we need to know what's going on down there? How did it come about? I don't know that there was a specific event, um, but there's been a lot of momentum building for the past decade or even the past couple of decades. The technology has been coming along. Um, there's been more integration of international communities and more sharing of data. Um, there is uh, There are the sustainable development goals of the UN that have come forward. We're in the midst now, it just started of the UN decade of ocean science. Um, for sustainable development. Um, so there's a lot of things really coming together. And I think, you know, part of it too is the, the climate is really, the changing climate is challenging us to act. And if we don't have a map, we can't do a lot of other things that have to be done in the oceans and with the oceans as well, right? We need to have a map to know where we are, where we're going, how we can deploy instruments and make more detailed observations. It's the baseline that kind of unites all this other data. Can you give me an example of hmm, what you might find in this process, in this mapping that would inform um, a response to our changing climate? So one of the ways that the depth of the ocean, right? The shape of the seafloor 
relates to climate has to do with ocean circulation. So better understanding how the currents and the sort of different water masses are moving around the ocean uh, helps us better understand how that interaction with ice might happen. It could help us understand um, you know, or predict some of the, the melting from the ocean perspective, I guess, in a way. Um, the way that the ice interacts with the water is definitely an important um, part of understanding climate or some of the, some of the uh, effects of the climate changing, I suppose. What are the processes you're using as part of Seabed 2030 to do this mapping in a way that's never been done before? So, I mean, where I spend most of my time is in the space of bringing the data together. Um, so I'm certainly involved in data acquisition, which is of course a huge part of CBED 2030. Um, and we know that there's more data that exists that hasn't yet been integrated into our maps. We know that there's data that exists that hasn't yet been shared. Um, so we're working on sort of that end of the data continuum. Um, but it's a real challenge to bring all these different disparate data sets together. Um, there's different ways that people collect it. There's different ways that people process it. If you want to create a high quality integrated product, there's a lot of effort that goes into that. Um, and part of what's happening because of and inspired by the CIPA 2030 initiative and because technology is advancing is we're getting more and more ways to acquire this kind of data. So traditionally, most of the maps that we have are from ship-based multi-beam sonar systems that can collect data acoustically in basically a swath that's four to six times the water depth. So it's kind of a profile underneath the ship. Um, they cover large areas in the deep sea, certainly, um, but not with a huge amount of detail. Uh, there's ways now where we're getting the sonars closer to the seafloor on robotic vehicles. Um, uh, sometimes, actually, some of those uh, vehicles are autonomous. They can be programmed and go off independently. There was a recent competition to sort of advance that space uh, a little bit more uh, quickly. Um, there's autonomous surface vessels that can collect data in the shallow water. There are, um, there's an effort called crowdsourced bathymetry where we can, we're basically moving as a global community toward this notion of any vessel, any recreational vessel, including my little 17 foot fishing boat <laughs> that has a navigational sonar in theory could be supplying data to this national international compilation. Wow. So that's crowdsourced bathymetry and there are people actively working on the technology, both to, you know, wire into these uh, navigational sonar systems and transmit the data. There are people working on what we do with the data once it comes in, because it's not as well constrained as, you know, the, the scientific or industry standards that are used for, for a lot of mapping. Um, and there's a lot of people working on the politics of really trying to help open up the potential for this and get, you know, frame, frame this challenge and frame this opportunity in a way that um, it's easier to, to get permission to collect and record and share this kind of data uh, all throughout the oceans. How much of a, an obstacle is that? Um, 
you know, it's it's a bit of a challenge and it's it's an interesting thing being an American because, you know, here we're particularly my generation, I think we're really accustomed to data sharing. It's part of what we've been taught that we need to do. Um, and it's normal for us. And in a lot of parts of the world, it's not. And in some places it can't be done because there are financial reasons or legal reasons. Um, so it's an interesting facet to all of this to really try to figure out, at least from my perspective, what are the what are the rules of engagement, right? Like how do we bring everyone to the table so that they're comfortable to share some amount of data that doesn't threaten whatever they need to protect, whether it's a financial model or national security or whatever it might be, right? These are all legitimate reasons to protect data. Um, but we really want everyone to come to the table and figure out what the mutual benefit is because it is one ocean processes and organisms don't stop at international boundaries, they, they carry on. So how can we really bring everyone together and figure out how to do this as a global community? That brings us beautifully back to the fact that this is World Oceans Day interview. Um, the reason the United Nations uh, put created this day of observance, which happens every year on June 8th, it was a resolution, I believe, in December of 2008, recognizing that this is a shared global resource and that it's facing some really serious challenges. Um, what comes to mind? What would you say are the challenges to the ocean's well-being, if I could put it that way, that most concern you? And have, that, have those concerns changed as you've been working through this Seabed 2030 uh, investigation and mapping? So I guess the place to start to answer that is um, it's easy for people to feel disconnected from the ocean, right? Unless you're on the coast and you look out at the ocean, it's hard to recognize how important it is to you. And even if you do go to the, are at the coast and go to the beach, really the, the true impact and value of the ocean to our daily lives is hard to really comprehend. Um, it's also very easy to detach from the ocean and think that it's an infinite sink that we can just put whatever into and it's fine because it's big and if we dump trash into it or pollute it, it won't matter. It does matter. It is finite. Um, it's also huge. And the fact that, which is another thing that's really hard to grasp, right? It's just massive. Yes. <laughs> but the fact that human activity is negatively affecting this huge ocean that covers our planet means that we've done quite a bit of damage already, right? <laughs> if we can see the impact in this huge, in this huge ocean of water. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's really important that people better understand why the ocean matters. I think it's something that not just from Seabed 2030, but from a lot of the work that I've been doing over the last decade and a lot of the people that I encounter, there's a real need to help build a connection between the people of the world and the ocean. And again, you know, I can I sit in a place of privilege in the US where I can look at things through a particular lens and I've traveled to parts of the world where people are much less fortunate and I understand that it's harder perhaps for them to have the 
the sort of the sustainable lens and this big uh, conservation sort of concept in mind because there's other challenges that are much more important to their daily lives. But what we're seeing, I think, through these international efforts, including Seabed 2030 and the UN Decade, is that there's a lot of resources, a lot of motivation, and there's the opportunity for this cliche, which is totally true of the rising tide being able to lift all boats. So it's incumbent on us who are more fortunate and have better technology and more resources at our disposal to make sure that we help to deliver that to the less fortunate parts of the world, many of which are you know, gonna be more susceptible to sea level rise and other factors related to the changing climate. So um, I think there's a little bit more humanity that's being folded in. And certainly, you know, the humanity is kind of the, <laughs> the where all the passion is and hopefully we can continue to strengthen that and get the resources that we need to do what we need to do to make sure that we take care of the ocean and the planet so that it can continue to take care of us. Well, thank you for any, any parting words as we uh, wrap up our World Oceans Day interview here? Um, I don't know. I guess, you know, I think this next decade is going to be hopefully <laughs> really transformative for the world and for the oceans. And I think it's a really incredibly exciting time to see all this momentum and all these different people, not just scientists, but people from industry and governments really coming together to try to address this really pressing challenge of how to ensure that we manage and sustain our oceans, not just for the benefit of the oceans, but for the benefit of all of humanity. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Vicki. And keep the mapping going. We'll be checking in with you again. Have a great rest of your World Oceans Day. Thank you. You too. Wow. Marie, that was a great interview uh, with Vicki Farini. Uh, Thanks for uh, really helping us understand the kind of work that uh, she's been doing uh, for the Earth Institute. And uh, I really can't wait to see the, the maps that come out of this big international um, uh, Seabed 2030 project and, and what she's absolutely. able to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Vicki is definitely one of the, the stars of Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory. And you could tell from that interview. But you know what really struck me, Francesco, how cool it is that, and it's obvious, but think about it. The great common denominator on this planet is our beautiful, massive, and mysterious oceans. Well put. I, I couldn't agree more. And um, well, with that, happy World Oceans Day, Marie. Happy World Oceans Day, Francesco. And we'll see you next time on Pot of the Planet. Great. Thanks. Bye. Bye.